there. Welcome to the HSQ Cast, a queer-based podcast brought to you by Humboldt State's SJEIC. I am your host, Spencer Schoening. And I am your co-host, Shiara Neiker, and we are looking forward to today's episode, which is the history of the word queer and its usage in modern-day contexts. Heck yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> how are you, my dear Shiara? I am good. I am here alone on campus. It's very lonely. How are you? I am. I'm good. I'm in my bedroom. I'm not by myself because there's a cat in here, but she doesn't have a lot of thoughts on the use of the word queer over um, like a hundred years or so. So I don't think she's going to be saying much. Yeah. The reason that we decided to kick off the podcast this way was because we want to put our foot in the door with something important. Uh, We know that queer is not a word that everybody likes to use, even though it's gotten a modern resurgence. And it would feel weird to say, hi, this is HSQ cast, a queer podcast, and not um, go into the history of it and acknowledge some of the things that um, folks don't tend to acknowledge with the like modern reclamation of the word. Absolutely. I agree. Since a lot of people are using queer as a replacement for LGBT, often in spaces like academia and university podcasts like these, it's important to explore that. And we're going to start with some episode content and warnings that we have. Um, We will probably be using the word queer quite often. Other slurs might not come in, but we will be talking about the historic um, oppression and aggressions committed against queer people. Yeah, unfortunately, when talking about a slur, you kind of got to talk about it being used as a slur against people. (laughs) And I think just from here on out, that is a word that uh, Shiara and myself both use in different ways. Um, But in the future, um, should we interview or talk about someone who that word does not apply to them, uh, we will purposefully not use it. Yes. Um, we're not here to push an ideology or anything like that. Um, and on that note, uh, we do not speak for Humboldt State University. We should probably make that clear. We're just two students. Uh, we work for the SJEIC, but our beliefs are our own. And we are just happy to be here because of the job that we get to do. Yeah, let's go. So there's not a lot of detailed history on the word in general. It was brought about roughly in the late 19th century to basically encompass all things odd. Um, There was a time where it was talked about in regards to counterfeit money was queer, dress and funny was queer, and that was kind of its own thing. They were like queer, weird. And then the first documented use of it as a pejorative term against gay men specifically um, was by a guy named John Douglas, who was the ninth Marquess of Queensbury, which is quite a title. Uh, (laughs) He was um, around from 1858 to 1900. Um, He seems important. What he did was not a particularly big deal, but supposedly his son was having a very intimate relationship with the playwright and author and poet Oscar Wilde, uh, which is quite the scandal, apparently. And in 1895, 
he wrote a letter in which he described or he used queer to describe their relationship and supposed sodomy because that was kind of how it was referred was under the use of the word sodomy and there was a whole law suit about whether or not they were going at it but that's not important yeah this rude ass dude was like y'all are queer and from then on it kind of slowly but surely took off into a term against gay men there is something called the dictionary of slang it was like 700 pages of just slang terms uh, all the things that they meant I didn't get a chance to look at all of it because my computer wanted to fall apart upon looking at the document (laughs) that big but the definition of queer in that is cited as homosexual man or lesbian usually pejorative and also a male homosexual term of self-reference than the gay underground and subculture. Uh, that's cited as about 1914, which is when I imagine it was uh, normalized in using uh, in regards to gay men. So we're in 1914 and nobody likes gay people, I guess. <laughs> yes, it is still uh, very illegal to be gay at the time. Up until yeah. the 1960s, I think, was the only when it just started becoming decriminalized, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Queer was pretty much specifically gay men, and I think even more specifically, very effeminate gay men. That's usually the the connotation there, which has its own problems as a whole, you know, not all gay men are feminine and gender and all that good stuff, but that was kind of the easiest way to, uh, clock somebody as queer back in the day was if you were an effeminate man, they kind of just put the assumption there, uh, which caused a lot of harm. But the weird thing in doing research for this episode was there's not a lot of documentation on the use of the word before 1950s, 1960s-ish, because that's when a underground like reclamation movement kind of came about. And people were like, oh, maybe we should start thinking about how this word is being used and its contexts, which is mostly you, Chiara, and the things that you learned about. Before before we get into that, I want to go back to the slang dictionary because there's some really mm-hmm. good words in here. Let's um, check them out. There's, there's queer as a noun, which is the one I brought up from 1914. Uh, there's queer as a verb, which is to spoil something. There's queer as an adjective, Uh, again, gay. There's something called um, queer as a clockwork orange, came about in 1973, meaning obviously homosexual. Very specific, obviously. (laughs) Very obviously. Uh, Below that is queer as a four-speed walking stick, which I don't know what that is. A four-speed walking stick. But it's very funny if you're referring to, like, a cane as a as an inherently gay thing. Like, not... <laughs> it is not gay to have a cane. I feel like, as a gay person, I would like a cane in, like, a decorative manner. I'd like to be able to walk around with a cane with, like, a little... I saw this lady at Disneyland once. This is a weird <laughs> place to go. Um, but my partner and I were sitting next to each other and this lady came onto their little like tram and she had just come out of the like new Star Wars whole thing. Yeah. At the time it was still being built and was like, you had to reserve an two hour slot to go into the place. Oh, wow. It was still off limits. It was really expensive to get those 
things ahead of time. And she was sitting down and talking to us about it. And she had dressed in all black in the middle of summer in Los Angeles um, (laughs) and had a cane that had a uh, snake on top, like for the topper and like a black gem in the middle. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't a real person I met. I've never met a person like that, but she sounds like someone I like to be friends with. Right. And like we were talking and she started talking to me about Star Wars. She has some like cool Star Wars table that she spent a bunch of money on and it's her whole thing. And I just, I just want to know where she's at. I I hope she's okay. (laughs) I hope so too. I think about her quite frequently because there are just those people out there that like you don't, you meet and after the fact, like that's not, that wasn't real. Yeah. It's <laughs> not a real like, person I met. So in short, I think it's gay to have a cane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's take that one out of context and like immediately get this show shut down. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Ford speed walking stick, queer as a left-handed corkscrew, queer as a nine bob note, nine bob watch, $3 bill, all summed up in the phrase ostentatiously homosexual which I'd also like to use as a descriptor for myself just someone being like hey you know like what's your what's your what's your orientation and ostentatiously homosexual I would say Mm. but you never know Uh, (laughs) that slang dictionary is something that is worth a look uh, into if you're ever if you're ever bored (laughs) which I am sure a lot of folks are (laughs) Okay, so if we're going to move on from that and all the weird uses that they had starting in the 1950s, um, particularly in the 70s, they had a lot of new words for queer in the 70s. So moving in through the 1980s, a lot of queer people of color started reclaiming the word queer, and that was because a lot of white cis gay men started moving towards something called liberal conservatism, which um, they still kept their gayness as a part of their identity, but they wanted to assimilate themselves into a cisgender heterosexual society. And Reagan had a lot to do with this, as Reagan Mm. has a lot to do with everything. It was safer for more gay men, because they were still white men, to join the military, start families, adopt children, work at jobs, which they would be fired from. So more queer people of color feeling betrayed by that, started adopting the word um, and using it more and more. And then into the 90s, in March of 1990, I think, Queer Nation was founded, and they had a huge push towards using the word queer as a reclaimed slur, as is in the name Queer Nation. And in the 90s as well, queer theory emerged as a form of academic study. We're not going to get super into it, but it did a lot of focus on theory and discourse, um, And queer discourse is a huge thing now on the internet, which a lot of people, including myself, have engaged in far too much, I would say. Yeah, I think the thing about queer theory is that it is so, like, it's such a pivotal point in in history of of us finally looking at things through social lenses. Um, Queer theory was the first kind of social lens that I was taught to look through things with, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that that John Mulaney bit of like, I think Emily Dixon's a lesbian, like that, that sort of thing to be able to do that. I'd love to get into queer theory um, another special day because it's a lot to unpack. Um, It definitely is. I'm a queer multicultural studies major. That's my whole thing. My major and therefore career would not exist without queer theory. So it's important. Um, 
and is important in the discussion of um, slurs and their reclamation. But I am curious, is, was, is slash was Queer Nation a primarily BIPOC ran organization or was it kind of just like white people came back and were like, just kidding? Um, from what I read, it was pretty diverse. After Stonewall, there was a lot more cohesion between people of color especially trans people of color in the community, they got a little bit more visibility. And that's what Stonewall is about. It was, you're going to see us. You're going to have to deal with us. You can't put us down anymore and commit brutality against us. Yeah. But going through the 90s, queer was used a lot in academia. But now in the 2000s to 2010s and 20s, as we are in now, queer is a mostly modernly accepted term. Most young people I see online do use it as a self-identifier and to refer to other people, whether or they would or would not like to be referred to as such. It has become sort of a just a thing people say. Sometimes people don't want to say the whole LGBT acronym or they feel fearful of where to put the plus or the Q or an asterisk. And so they just replace it with queer. So that's the word that's most commonly used from what I see nowadays. And I think there's... I am of the belief that a part of that is it turned it turned from like LGBT people being like, well, there are a certain subsection of us who use this term for ourselves and it's important and there's a lot of different things it can mean, but it means something different to everybody. And mm-hmm. that got very quickly mistranslated into like catch-all, which isn't necessarily the same thing. And I when we were doing research on this i read an article by npr that was basically summarized by we got a lot of older Mm -hmm. lgbt people who didn't understand this like sudden use of the word from what is considered a pretty like respectable organization and, and news source and how do you combat respecting the identity of people who do prefer to be called queer for whatever reason and understanding and like accepting that it has a messy history and it doesn't apply to everybody. And then you get into the muddied waters of like, okay, well, who can say it? When should we use it? When shouldn't we use it? Should I go for queer first? Should I go for LGBT first? You know, stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of stepping on eggshells I see, especially with some older people when trying to discuss things with my parents. I try and stay away from the word queer because obviously their experience with it growing up in the... Yeah, I, there's so, like, it's so weird how there's so much to it and also not a lot to it because it requires a lot of understanding of, like, interpersonal experiences which weren't really documented in the same way in terms of the use of the word because, you know, it's very different, but, like, no one really documents how getting called a dumbass was, like, tracked over time because it's all about how you interact with another person, what they think the word means. I, yeah, it it felt important to talk about and briefly go over. I think there are some like interesting subsections of the conversation. I know one that I thought about is, is queer a new identity to consider? Does it exist as a way to dismantle a a pre-existing structure? And what structure is that? Does being queer have its own culture in comparison to gay culture or trans culture or just LGBT plus culture? 
I don't know. <laughs> and I'm... Um, yeah, that, that, those are a lot of things to think about. I think that it has been used in identities a bit more recently, whereas before a lot of people would refer to themselves as gender non-conforming or even transgender. I recently, as in maybe 2012, saw the use of a word genderqueer, and I the word queer is in the gender identity itself, which I found interesting. Obviously, as a cis person, I don't know much about trans issues, but it was interesting to me how it can be used both for gender or sexuality or both. Yeah, it exists in a, in a fun space. It is kind of, I, I use queer as an identifier for myself um, as do I, for yes. a multitude of reasons. I feel like it has a similar connotation to someone can identify as gay and that can mean something a little more complex mm. and that we're kind of shifting from gay being a the main umbrella term of choice into particularly the generation that we are in using queer as the umbrella term yeah, of instead. choice um, yes. which is interesting I, I don't know I think I also it's a weird twist on the history that we already have with these two terms because I know that I didn't hear queer a lot growing up when I was a kid but I sure did hear gay a lot as an insult when I was a kid oh, yeah. and it, it felt flipped from reading up on people being like I was called queer and it sucked and I wanted to be called gay and now it's like okay things were called gay in my life that were bad now I would prefer to be called queer because it's this other thing for me. That being said, that's not everybody's experience. Yes. And I think the question of when do I say it, just kind of ask. And this is, we're looking to broadcast this to a, a mostly LGBT audience. We're not really getting cishets in here. That's not really yes. what this is it's, for. It's not, it, it is an educational space, but it is not a an educational like breakdown of every single aspect of uh, it's not a guide yeah we're not going to be like hi guys here's what a lesbian is yeah because that's not really something we feel the need to do but i think it's still a space of people are still learning i don't know i think generally if it is you and your comfort then do whatever you want but when talking about individuals don't <laughs> generally yeah. unless told otherwise and i i think there are very few places in which it has to come up of like do you want to be called queer doesn't really not really something that comes up a lot it's usually i would like to be called this and then fixing it after the fact rather than like what do i call you <laughs> yeah um, because that becomes a little bit too um it brings too much attention to it so um yeah. For for example, a lot of uh, lesbian women do prefer to be called specific things. So if you said called a butch woman queer, she may just be like, I'm a butch. And it just ends there. You don't have to be like, hello, ma'am. What can I call you? A queer yeah. or a butch? It, it becomes a, then it becomes a situation. Yeah. Um, so usually people will tell you if they are or are not comfortable. But general rule is to just use it in a respectful way. Something I also thought about while we were talking about this was because the original narrative was that queer is white gay men. I'm very curious if you think that is still a general predisposition when people talk about queer things. What are the biases that we still have in association to that? Because I think it is still very much a feminized term. I, 
the way I see the world, I guess, is when people talk about queer, they are talking about something that is effeminate. They are talking about, we live in a pretty white dominated like society mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So usually they're, the assumption is that it's white people. I've noticed that when you're talking about people that identify as genderqueer, there is an implication that they are assigned female at birth. Yeah, That is a whole other yeah. issue Absolutely. within itself. And I think there's, yeah, I, I I don't know. It seems interesting that the resurgence of the word was primarily by BIPOC in, in a time where white cis gay men were trying their best to like wiggle their way into the heteronormative patriarchy, what have you. Mm-hmm. And then we've kind of come right back around to, well, what's, what's the comfortable idea of a queer person? And let's go with that. For me, when I... I grew up in Minnesota, so I do have a lot of experience being the only person of color in white spaces. So when I am in predominantly white spaces, I do see what you see. It is a lot of very white-centric queerness pertaining to effeminate gay men or even very masculine gay women. But when I'm in a space where there's more people of color, it is used just as freely and to mean many different things. I do see many people talking about gender identities that are pertain to their culture specifically, indigenous people, people from India, all over the world. They use queer to describe it. So historical queer identities, cultural queer identities, they use words like that and then go into the specifics of what their culture uses that for. But, but I do think it varies by the people that you're with, whether you're only with cis people or you're in a group with cis people and trans people. It does depend, I think. Yeah, I didn't even think about like the global context shows you what I have to unlearn and think about. Since we're in the opinions corner. um, Do you think the word's been overused? Do you think that we're reaching a point where to take a old man perspective, queers just being thrown around willy nilly left and right, and any problems that that could cause? I do think that at times it is used too much as a blanket instead of an umbrella, with umbrella being something that would encompass and protect us all, and a blanket kind of smothering. Because there are, like I said, some issues that pertain to specific branches of our community and specific people that other people cannot relate to. And sometimes they're denied the spaces and the safety of their own section of the community because everyone's like, oh, we're all queer. So we should all weigh in on this. But that can cause issues later on. So it is slightly overused. And I do feel sometimes that it is overused by cishet people. They say mm-hmm. it a little bit too freely for my comfort mm-hmm. um, or too readily. Not that it's something that's banned from the English language for non-LGBT people, but I think that there can be a bit of care being put into how you say it and when you say it. Yeah, I think so too. I think particularly like, the thing about trans and other non-binary identities, queer mm-hmm. is kind of thrown over that. Some people choose for that to be the case, but it should not be kind of, okay, well, all trans people are queer or yeah. gender queer, because then you run into some people, the vagueness of a word like queer is is important to them, whereas others, the specificity of a word like queer is important. Everybody has a different take on it, which makes it great for an educational, introspective podcast that we're doing. 
Yes. I say with only a wee bit of sarcasm because I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. There, um, it does need a bit of nuance. That's the word I was looking for. I think I've I described it before. The word queer as a this sounds absolutely ridiculous as a non-Newtonian liquid. You know, its you know? meaning can based on how you interact with it. It's structure will change and its constitution so what you're using it for will change based on how you're interacting with it does that sound weird uh sounds nerdy but not weird (laughs) i just don't know words or science so for anyone who doesn't know what a non-newtonian liquid is it's when you it's an experiment you probably did in eighth grade science class where you take cornstarch and i think water and you mix them together and when you hit it really hard it doesn't move and it acts as solid but when you sink your hand into it slowly it gives way and it is a liquid so that was my way of saying that it's different based on how you interact with it but i see that was a poor analysis <laughs> no i think i think it makes sense i'm just dumb <laughs> no, you're let's, let's get just, that straight away <laughs> i'm just i'm just a big nerd <laughs> i think in terms of where to like take this information because i think it's important that you know, we said we're an educational podcast, but Mm -hmm. not a guidebook. I still think that when you learn things, you can think about where to apply them. One, if you don't like to be called queer or a queer person, speak up for yourself. It's Mm -hmm. easier said than done for sure. And and safety is things to think about and all that good stuff that, that we definitely understand, but more so that there is it feels so weird to be like, you're valid on like a podcast or whatever, but it, it is a valid point to make. Yeah. And LGBT history, queer history is incredibly varied. And because of that, the individual perspective very much matters. I think if you happen to be a cishet person, not identifying in our community in all senses of the word, first off, welcome. Second, think about the possible implications of the things you are using queer for. Uh, Think about why you are choosing that over the acronym, even then further on, like what acronym you choose. Um, If you feel the word queer is appropriate, go for it. It can never hurt to talk to some non-cishet folks about it. it. It really never hurts. They might have some differing opinions on it, but you know, at least there was an opinion in there. Those are my two big points, just self-advocacy and like listening to people who are trying to self-advocate. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's a big, scary world and we have to speak up for ourselves, but you always have support no matter what. Yeah. And we're hoping that you find it in this podcast. Yeah. I'm very much excited to be doing this and having the ability to speak to a possible audience about all of this. I am going to have us do a wrap up ahead of time, but we can still chit chat about some stuff anyway, because I'm just vibing free materials. I do want to acknowledge the sources we used. Um, Among others, there was an article by the American historian, Columbia journalism review, NPR, Try me if you must for using <laughs> Wikipedia. So thanks to all those people for letting us use their knowledge and their words and uh, say them in arguably a less coherent way, at least on my end. Uh, <laughs> what if I just made things a little 
more confusing for people, uh, gave it that hip Gen Z swing, you know, um, swing of yeah. complete and utter confusion. Yeah. And, and what's great about the hip Gen Z swing is I meant to say Gen Z spin. So, <laughs> so the, the spin is that I'm saying things wrong. I want to thank Humboldt State for yes. technically at large sponsoring the podcast. I want to thank the SJEIC and our team for sponsoring the podcast. I want to thank you, Shiara, because you're great. Mm-hmm. And I want um, to thank you, Spencer. You are great as well. If you are an audience member, a listener, whatever we're going with, and you want to reach out to us, uh, we're gladly going to accept any thoughts on episodes that we do, any follow-up questions, um, corrections. We are always happy to learn here. That's a big part of yes, this is absolutely. we... We want other people to learn and we want to learn in response. Or if you know any important people in the world out there that you can get us in touch with, we'll always take a free guest. If you have ideas for things we should be talking about or shouldn't be talking about, we have an email address that you can reach us at, which is qcbc at humboldt.edu. You can shoot us an email that way and we will be able to talk about those um, on the episode. A little uh, listener interaction. The SGAC also has an Instagram that you can follow us at for all of what's going on in the humble virtual world right now at HSU underscore SJEIC. I think those are the two things I want to promote. If we're big and famous, you can get my personal Instagram then, <laughs> but it's got to be earned. <laughs> yeah, we got to have lots of guests and lots of five-star ratings yeah ten thousand listeners and you can get my public instagram that's just kind (laughs) of out there and probably not that hard to find yeah i guess yes um i'm gonna do a fun little newscaster signing off for the hsq cast i am spencer shoning and i am shiara niker and we will see you next time bye bye did it did a podcast every pony that went well (laughs)